Welcome to the show. Dr. E. Michael Jones returns to talk about the hard media shift from COVID to truckers. Now it's Ukraine, Russia. Uh, I do want to mention that I'm a big supporter of all people who are banned everywhere, especially uh, people like Mike Lindell. I've interviewed Mike three times. Go to MyPillow.com, get the Patrick Coffin Show special. It's not just sheets, it's not just pillows, it's bathrobes, it's slippers, it's uh, dog beds, everything's there. My name, Patrick, P-A-T-R-I-C-K, at the checkout, gets you a 66% discount. So you're welcome in advance. That's MyPillow.com. Happy to welcome back Dr. E. Michael Jones, founder of what used to be called Fidelity Magazine, now Culture Wars. He's a former professor of English literature, uh, American literature, I should say it, uh, with a PhD from Temple University. He taught at St. Mary's College, which is opposite Notre Dame, got fired for his position on abortion, namely he was against it. So he decided to uh, take the hand of Logos Rising and start um, a publishing empire. His books include uh, John Cardinal Kroll and the Cultural Revolution, the Medjugorje Deception, uh, Monsters from the Id, Slaughter of Cities, Barren Metal, uh, his newer book, Logos Rising. And uh, today we're going to talk about the media as the omniscient narrator of what we're all supposed to be thinking and the story we're supposed to be following. Dr. Jones, welcome back. Thank you, Patrick. Good to be here. Uh, I enjoyed your your uh, recent conversation with Father Jeffrey Langan on the Russian-Ukraine thing, and it got me thinking about how quickly the uh, media industrial complex forces us to to turn the page and go to, into a new shiny metal object, a new a new chapter. Um, I, somehow, I want to I want to integrate this into your thoughts on usury and uh, how the war racket profits from uh, from the sound of guns dropping and and bullets firing. Um, maybe I can start with. What's happening in, in uh, Culture Wars magazine? What's, what's in the upcoming issues? Well, we are, we're trying to not let Canada be forgotten here because I think there was something important that, that happened there. Uh, but uh, part of what I'm trying to do here is uh, explain the coherence. Uh, there is a coherent narrative here. Uh, but you have to understand what it is, and the pund- especially the Catholic pundits, uh, uh, seem to have—they're missing—they're missing the ball, the boat completely. Um, I'm talking about uh, George Weigel. I don't know whether you've heard him heard him lately. Uh, he's completely uh, endorsing the wrong side in this whole struggle. He's talking about Zelensky as if he's some type of war hero. Uh, it's clear he's operating out of an obsolete paradigm, uh, which would be conservatism. It's an obsolete paradigm. The, what we're talking about is basically uh, the Cold War, uh, when uh, there was a Soviet Union, which was uh, cr- uh, f- informed by an ideology called communism, which was atheistic, uh, and it was bent on worldwide expansion, and this was all backed up theologically by the the message of Fatima, uh, which said that Russia would spread her errors. Uh, all of this type, it's it, it's the world has moved beyond this. I mean, if you want my honest opinion, I I have said before that the age of Fatima is over, that the consecration did take place, in spite of what all these other people are saying. And that now we're in a situation that is a complete reversal of what it was before. Yeah, the Fatima question takes us 
far afield. Um, I want to keep my evangelical listeners and my low-information Catholics um, <laughs> on board here. Um, the Let's see, March 25th, 1984, consecration has been an, a, a bone of contention among certain right. uh, trad circles. Um, right. Do you think it's possible, and I can put a link there, by the way, to, to more backstory on Fatima. Do you think it's possible that a partial consecration to Russia was done? Yes, I think that's exactly. Because, no, wait, no, wait. A minute. I think I think there was a, a consecration. I think it's obvious now that uh, Russia is a Christian country. It's not a communist country anymore, and uh, uh, the, the, these things are all being ignored by a. Uh, I, I don't want to uh, by by a, a group that I have uh, called Fatima fundamentalism. The basis of which is the Blessed Mother said Russia will spread her errors. Why did she say that? Mm -hmm. Why didn't she say the Soviet Union will spread its errors? Would have been more accurate. Didn't she? Wasn't she up to speed? Well, first of all, nobody would have understood it because it didn't exist yet. Uh, certainly, three peasant children in Portugal wouldn't have understood that, and so so she had to use vocabulary that right. got twisted. Got twisted in the end. Well, let's look for a second because this uh, this kind of radiates out from that and. And that is how Russia has spread her errors. Little, you could, listeners might want to look up the, the name China and see how what's happening in China. Um, uh, North Korea, Cuba, Venezuela, the errors of Russia. And it's not just political, right? Uh, Mike, I'm going back to your premise and your, your insights in Libido Dominandi. What Russia spread was also sexual chaos and sexual liberation as political control. That's another, it's sort of the evil twin sister of the communist Political system. No, I, I wouldn't say Russia spread that. I would say the Soviet Union spread that. What you had right. was basically the capture of Russia by a group of people known as Bolsheviks. And suddenly now we're edging toward the taboo topic that no one is allowed to talk about. This was a this was a Jewish political movement. And now I think once we start talking, putting that on the table, I think we can start to make sense about what's going on right now. If you don't put that on the table you're not going to understand what's going on it's i was just trying simple. to use i was trying to use marian friendly language there yeah I'm, I'm aware that it's the soviet union um and people often they don't want to make those distinctions between the the empire and the people that suffered themselves under it as well um let me let me start by noting that i was born and raised in canada i lived in ottawa for a year um, I have friends who did live streams from the event, and everything that went down in Ottawa is the exact diametric opposite to what Trudeau, to what his his sock puppet media, the CBC, was saying. Uh, there were no Nazis there. If there was a Nazi flag, it was probably purchased by George Soros. Um, I right. understand absurdly there was a <laughs> Confederate flag there, which is uh, funny, accidentally. So the... Events on the ground bore no resemblance to the the legacy lame scream narrative that were so, were sold that this was a bunch of transphobic, Islamophobic, um, uh, misanthropes who were basically uh, doing an, a January sixth in the snow. Right, right. So we had uh, basically identity theft. That was, that's what was going on here. Now, what was what was the vehicle? What was the vehicle of identity theft? It was the Holocaust narrative. They the, what you had was truckers 
who were sick to death of being having their lives disrupted by the COVID thing. They had a sense, I think the world had a sense that the COVID narrative is winding down. England had already gone off offline in, in this regard. And now they show up with uh, thinking, believing, you know, like the, the peasants coming to the czar. They believed in their system. And they believed as they brought their grievances toward the le- to the leader, he would come and listen to them. Now, maybe they were a little, they had big trouble trucks. The peasants in the Russia didn't have big trucks, but anyway, they showed up with this faith in the system in mind. And what happens? Justin Trudeau uh, pulls out the nuclear option, okay, pulls out the Holocaust narrative because he's not going to face the issue. He doesn't want to face the issue. Uh, 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 the, The big issue being, who do you represent? Who do you work for? Do you do you are you the uh, uh, the servant of the people of Canada or is there some type of other agenda? He's vulnerable. I think he knows in his heart he's vulnerable. And so he panics. And then he says, it's Nazis. It's Nazis. No, it's not Nazis. I don't say anybody who knows anything about Canada. And I wasn't born there and I wasn't raised there, but I've been there a number of times. No, this is not the narrative that's going on here. It was completely imposed from the outside in an act of a vicious act of identity theft. The deputy prime minister, Christia Freeland, is Ukrainian. You're not really allowed to point that out. Uh, Did you know that her paternal grandfather was a high ranking Nazi? That's right. Yeah. So that, so. <laughs> wait a minute. It's getting complicated now. <laughs> wait it's a like, minute. where's Waldo? Spot, let's play spot the Nazi. <laughs> so, but uh, before we go, before we go there, one more, one more statement. The uh, lady, the uh, member of parliament, her last Mrs. Sachs or Miss Sachs or whatever. Yeah, Yara Sachs. Uh, he's the uh, yeah, uh, New Brunswick liberal MP, I believe. Yes. Yeah. So she stands up and she says, uh, I'm Jewish. I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. Well, at this point, you know, it's dialogue is impossible now. And then as if to prove that she's completely irrational, she then launches into this thing about how hurt she is. And then she gets into that famous line, which has gone viral by now, where she says, these truckers, honk, honk equals Heil Hitler. You didn't know that, Mike? I didn't know that. I have a PhD. A, I have a, a PhD, PhD yeah. in American literature, and I didn't know that. So this goes viral, mm-hmm. and there's cartoons now. Of there's there's this lady ranting, and then there's a goose, and the goose says Hong Kong, and Representative Sachs comes. Say, You're a Nazi. You're a Nazi. A little kid on his tricycle, Hong Kong. So this exposed the whole. The, the whole bringing out the big guns here, the role that the uh, Holocaust narrative plays in uniting all of these uh, segments of the basically the war that the information war that we're now uh, undergoing, undergoing. But to get yeah. back to your point, to yeah. get back to your point, yes, Christia Freeman Freeland is the lady who pulled out the, the, the basically the atomic bomb. So these guys show up. They think have a right to protest. Their trucks are parked uh, in places probably they shouldn't be parked. So we're talking about a parking violation maybe. And she pulls out, no, we're going to have the firing squad because the Nazis have been invoked. Because once you invoke the the Holocaust narrative, then you can bring in capital punishment and a firing squad. And so basically she freezes their bank accounts. 
Yeah, and Canadians are not permitted to fight uh, on the Russia side in this, according to Freeland. Right, right. Yeah. Because so now we got Freeland, whose grandfather was a, 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 a follower of Stefan Bandera. And Stefan Bandera was the uh, Ukrainian who basically collaborated with the SS during World War II uh, with the Einsatzgruppen, which are the mobile units that went around killing people left and right, and basically uh, had uh, the blood of uh, innocent people on his hands. Uh, these people, the descendants of these people, are now working with the Jews who are running the Ukraine. I'm talking about Zelensky in particular, the Jewish comedian who can mm. play the piano with his penis, among other things. It's just so much I didn't know here, Mike. Thanks for yeah, that. Yeah, you're Thank welcome. You. Too much information, as my children would say. But, you know, this this is what we're, what we're dealing with. So you have this situation now where, wait a minute, I thought we got back to Canada. Truckers are Nazis. That means they're bad. Well, they're not Nazis, but they're bad because you said they were Nazis. Now we're going to the Ukraine where the Jewish government is actually working with the Nazis. I so mean, th they, this, they, got, yeah. they have Nazi flags up there. Yeah, I want to ask you about the Azov movement, the Azov, Azov regimen, uh, because this is another thing that, that, is, is, that flummoxes people when they, when they hear, well, wait a second, if the Nazis are on the bad side, why does Zelensky harbor this unit of actual nazis that are you know historically tied directly to the third reich and why are they handing ak-47s to housewives and and uh yoga teacher types yeah well there are two there are two separate issues here first of all it's the uh, why are they uh dealing with the nazis well we have to go back to the whole story of the ukraine and basically another jewish lady victoria newland who has been spending, spent, announced in 2008, she spent $5 billion uh, trying to radicalize uh, the Ukraine. 2014, they saw their moment of opportunity when Yukashenko uh, basically signed an, an energy agreement with Russia when he was supposed to sign it with the EU, according to Ms. Newland, okay? And so she needs uh, boots on the ground. Well, it's the Nazis. So the Nazis, basically, the Azov Brigade, they were there, okay, and they were willing to fight against Russia. They're proxy warriors. So we, we have basically a repeat of Afghanistan. Remember Afghanistan? Okay, uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski bragged about luring the Russians into Afghanistan as payback for Vietnam. As soon as they did that, then we uh, um, armed the Mujahideen. Now, do, do we like the Mujahideen? Who, who was the most famous Mujahideen of this era? It was Osama bin Laden. Do we have something in common with Osama bin Laden? No, he was a proxy warrior. He was, a, he was a, a basically the recipient of American weapons, and he went on to fight. They, they made life miserable for, for the Russians. And then at that point, the Russians pulled out and then, oh, we're supposed to flip that light switch off. And those guys just, no, they didn't disappear. They mm -hmm. went on to cause havoc wherever they went after that, whether it was Somalia or wherever they went after that. And this is the whole problem with irregular warfare, which is going to be the problem with Iran, I Iran, uh, I'm sorry, the Ukraine, mm -hmm. the Ukraine. Okay, Liddell Hart in his book Strategy said, 
uh, you always get blowback when you engage in uh, irregular warfare. There's no command. You're always attracting criminals to, to fight with you. And in this case, it's Nazis. And this is precisely the strategy that Zelensky is pursuing. This is completely outrageous that this guy is being portrayed as a hero when what he's doing is handing out AK-47s to grandmas in their yoga pants. Yeah, it's an interesting cognitive dissonance that you see um, left-wing Democrat activists who are uh, fundamentally anti-gun suddenly cheerleading for um, non-military Ukrainians to have as many guns as they can. Yeah. It's like, hey guys, you have to you have to pick a side here. And, and it immediately, immediately turns bad. Uh, if you're following Coach uh, Coach Red Pill, he's in uh, Kiev right now. He said the first people to line up were criminals, and the first thing they did after getting their AK-47 was go around robbing people, robbing stores, uh, uh, just. Uh, engaging in criminal activity. That's precisely the problem with irregular warfare. Precisely the problem. You get this thing started and then you don't know how to stop it because it's not military. That is the whole point of having a military. Putting these people in uniforms, having a chain of command that goes up to the commander in chief so that you can negotiate with the commander in chief and say, okay, uh, we're, we're gonna surrender. Now, remember, it, this is the chickens coming home to roost because the United States uh, pursued a policy, a ruthless policy of unconditional surrender in World War II, which basically turned they, they, these German soldiers had their backs to the wall. We can't surrender, so we have to fight to the death. You've got the same thing here now with this anarchy that is going to spread. And we ha even have basically politicians in Washington saying we should support a guerrilla warfare, guerrilla warfare in the Ukraine if if the Russians uh, don't withdraw. This, what, this is the, 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 I'm, I'm getting uh, I'm choking up here with outrage, as you <clears> probably <throat> can tell. But but who is cheering this on? George Weigel. People are going to die. That lady in her yoga pants uh, walking around with an AK-47 is a legitimate target for the Russian military. And she, if they shot her and killed her, there would be no fault on their part. It's the same thing as if the lady walks down the street here with an AK-47 and confronts the cops. The cops have a right to shoot her. Why are you sending these women into battle like this? In, in, a, in an effort where you know, you know they cannot win. They cannot win. I think the strategy is basically that you want you, meaning Zelensky, you meaning uh, the Jews who are in charge of the Ukraine at this point. You want as many casualties as possible because then you're going to blame it on the Russians and you're going to think you're going to win the, the propaganda war by doing that. That's what I think the strategy is. Do you know who inspired uh, Zelensky to get into public uh, office? Did you hear this? He, he dropped it the other day, I think, on Twitter. Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau. I was yeah. just going to say that. Yeah. I was just going to say and, that. And both are um, acolytes of George Soros. Right. right. Fre Freeland, there are photos of, of uh, baby Doc Trudeau and, um, and uh, Ms. Freeland sitting before the great man in a hotel room in Davos in 2016. So right. Right. Bird, well, that's, well, that's exactly the revelation that came uh, with the Canada thing. 
Uh, suddenly we realized Trudeau is working for for George uh, Soros. He's working for Klaus Schwab. The Klaus Schwab video came out, World Economic Forum, where he said, yeah, we have all these uh, rulers in our pocket. He didn't quite put it in those terms. And then he mentioned Macron and Angela Merkel. And then he mentioned Justin Trudeau. So what 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 is happening here is that the consciousness is rising. And the what I said like five years ago with the Religious Freedom Restoration Act in Indiana is becoming obvious. We have a worldwide war on representative government. And all of these people that are in power now are are puppets of some type of big uh, 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 oligarch uh, cabal of of, uh, billionaires, including including, especially including uh, Zelensky, who is basically the protege of this cult. Kolomaisky, Kolomaisky, anywhere, big Jewish, uh, Russian, uh, I'm sorry, Ukrainian oligarch. Are you familiar with the book uh, Tragedy and Hope by Carol Quigley? Yes, that, I am. Yeah. Yeah, so I read he, the book. He, it's a big, fat, boring book, probably 1,100 pages. It's like E. Michael Jones-sized book. <laughs> and uh, every couple of pages or chapters, he drops this these bombs. Um, he was the official stenographer of secret societies. And uh, he explains that the levers of power transcend any crown. They transcend prime ministers and presidents. We're talking about an international conglomerate here, chiefly bankers. And uh, they're the ones that underwrite and they're the ones that profit off war. Yes, that's true. But the successful politician is the one who can appeal to the mass audience uh, uh, as if, representing their interests while doing the bidding of the people behind the scenes. Now that has broken down here. So that's, that's a significant step in the right direction. The consciousness now of who Justin Trudeau really works for is there. And I think, I think it was so embarrassing that they shut it down immediately. I mean, what happened to those truckers? Did they get a parking ticket or were they taken out and shot by a firing squad? I don't know. What happened to them? Uh, I know one thing that happened to the people that were arrested on uh, camera. That is, they were taken from downtown, the the protest area with the bouncy castles and the hot tub and the dancing. Ottawa is a really boring city. All of a sudden, it was like Mardi Gras there uh, with good spirit and freedom in the air, uh, even though it was bone-chillingly cold. They put the, the plastic zip um, handcuffs they put them in the cop cars and they were whisked off and driven about five kilometers outside Ottawa where they were dropped off. That's well, what that's happened. that's good. Now, so, did, were their bank accounts unfrozen? Uh, that's TBA. I, I don't know. Um, I think they've backed off of that, but this is where it becomes hard to distinguish Stalinist Soviet Union from contemporary Canada under Trudeau if you're going to freeze the bank accounts not only of the evil doing Nazi truckers but the people who gave money electronically through um, GoFundMe 10 million dollars right. and then that someone doxed the people who gave and they claimed it was you know January 6 Trumpers which it wasn't the vast majority of donors were Canadians and then this is why the truckers have uh, left the scene because the cameras are pointed somewhere else. The Canadian Senate were pressured by Bank uh, by Bay Street, which is the Toronto equivalent of, of uh, Wall Street, saying, stop right now. Canadians are withdrawing in protest. They're right. taking their money out of, the, out of uh, bank accounts. It's a disaster, so stop it. Right. So the truckers, right. to that extent, were successful. We think, oh, they, because they moved on, they were somehow failures. No, no, it, it worked. Yes. And now it's being replicated in Washington. Right, so what... 
again, what you said, so this brings us to the, the weapon of choice right now, which is economic sanctions. Uh, first of all, economic sanctions applied to the little guy in, uh, in Canada, bringing about the opposite of what they intended, namely a run on the bank. Remember runs on the bank? You, I never mm-hmm. had one in my lifetime. If you watch um, it's, a uh, life. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life, there's a run on the bank. This was the problem. This is why the Federal Reserve System was created in the first place. That there were, that you would have confidence that there would be an ultimate backstop and your bank would not fail and your money was would be safe. Remember the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation yeah, where they dick. would tell you? Yeah. So they would tell you that your money, which you deposit in the bank, it's insured. Well, guess what? Guess what? You guys are ruining the confidence in the financial system. Didn't that ever occur to you? Don't you see the big uh, picture here? Everyone is in this hysterical mode. Like, what can we do to hurt Russia? Like the Germans are the classic example. See this gun? See this gun? I have a gun, Russia, and I know how to use it. Now, if you do that, I'm going to pull the trigger. And they did. They pulled the trigger. They cut off the uh, Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Okay, now where are you going to get your energy? Where is that going to come from? And at this point, Russia is pivoting toward China. Oh, they have lots of energy needs in China, and they've got a huge manufacturing base. So why do I need to buy stuff from Germany now? And now it's gone even farther, more complications. We are in the midst of the um, negotiations with Iran over the uh, nuclear agreement, the JCPOA, and one of the five countries involved in that is Russia. Uh, so here is the United States. They're cutting off uh, Russia, which is going to drive the price of gasoline through the roof, which is, I don't know what it is where oh, you yes. are. Yeah, it's climbing, it, climbing up. It's like yeah. it was. I was in Chicago yesterday, and it was four dollars and fifty cents a gallon. It's cheaper, about a dollar cheaper here in Indiana. Uh, but so you're driving the energy price. So what? What? What is the plan here? Well, we're going to have Iran pump, uh, make up the shortfall. Well, wait a minute. Why would Iran do you that favor? You've got sanctions on Iran. You're going to have to back down on every single sanction that you put on Iran in order to get the oil now. Now, that's a really weak bargaining position, it seems to me, because nobody, is anybody, does anybody have any foresight in Washington or is it just mass hysteria? Like, what can we do to demonize Russia? Yeah, this has been noted that the same people who told you to get the mRNA injection, who told you to, to impede your breathing with a face diaper, who uh, told you you had to s- social distance six feet, ruin the economy, uh, have your kids' health damaged. Now we're all stand, uh, you know, I stand with Ukraine. You can't even stand up for your own rights, but now you're virtue signaling on social media. Uh, look at the people who are behind the st- I stand with Ukraine. Just from a forget everything else, forget that Putin doesn't exist. Pop stars, woke athletes, the entire uh, media industrial complex, um, Biden bots, everyone is on this one-sided track. U.S. bishops, they're, they're all lining up with one story. You're not allowed to see things from the Russian perspective. You're not even allowed to see Ukraine as a buffer state. And you people have forgotten what they learned in the seventh grade about it, what a buffer state is. Right. 
And that's all they asked for. All the Russians asked for was a neutral Ukraine. They started this in 2008 and they were consistently ignored. So I'm saying you've got a, a completely failed paradigm. You've got an attempt to resurrect the Cold War paradigm when it doesn't apply. This doesn't apply anymore. And you've got the real paradigm, which goes, the continuity here is the Holocaust narrative. The Holocaust narrative goes, follows this thing from beginning to end. Everybody, everybody who has something to say has to somehow align himself with the Holocaust narrative. So now, oh, Putin's Hitler. Oh, okay. That's, that's a new story. No, I, I don't. We are completely blinded because we have a paradigm that doesn't work and we're suppressing the paradigm that does make sense of the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's clear that um, sleepy Joe Biden doesn't run the United States. Who's Joe, Bo- Joe Biden's boss? Who's running this country, do you think? Well, it's always, you know, he who pays the piper calls the tune. Um, it, it was it was in many ways more obvious with Donald Trump than it was with Biden because basically we knew who they were. It was the three, uh, three rich Jews, Paul Singer, Bernard Marcus, and the late uh, Sheldon Adelson. They were basically the ones who pulled the plug on the JCPOA. They told uh, Trump not to do that. Trump did what he said, and now they inherited a, a, a huge problem now. They should have just stayed with what they had. It would have been better now. They're in a much weaker bargaining position. Mm-hmm. So you've got all of these. You've, the, the, main, the main problem is campaign finance. The main problem is uh, basically too much wealth concentrated in too few hands, uh, controlled by groups who have no uh no they are not interested in the what is good for america they're interested in what their little group is uh this has shattered america into groups uh identity politics uh the 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 queen of identity politics was uh was uh, uh hillary clinton who failed because of that and now you've got another group they they came back uh and now you got this this the same the same kind of problem uh, people back themselves into a corner, uh, and no one can. No one knows who's. No, no one knows who's in charge. Yeah, I, I'm saying. Look, look. The same thing happened. So you go from Trump. I'm saying Trump with the uh, the Israel lobby with Trump controlling his foreign policy. Then Biden ends up with the same thing. He's got Blinken, got Blinken doing the negotiating. Secretary of State. Right, his secretary of state, he's got enough Jews in his cabinet to have a minion. They could have their own service without, uh, you know, without any problem. So you've got a guy who's going into the negotiations who has the same mindset as that lady in Canada who said honk honk equals Heil Hitler and who had uh, basically um, relatives who died in the Holocaust. You can't talk to these people. Don't send these people to negotiate because if there's one thing that this proves, it is the failure of Blinken as a negotiator. Your I mean your job was to prevent the war and all you had to do was say okay we won't extend NATO into the Ukraine. We will 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 guarantee a neutral Ukraine. We'll accept that. Well they didn't do that because they're driven by this messianic politics which also is driven by this ancestral animus against Russia. Mm-hmm. We're talking about people whose great-grandparents or great-grandparents left because of the pogroms, uh, which came about because 
uh, Narodnaya Volia, uh, which was a Jewish terrorist organization, murdered the czar. So we're, this this goes deep, and you can't have people like that. You can't have the, you can't have these people negotiating for you because first of all, they do not represent the American people, and secondly, they have a mindset that precludes rational discourse. Would you agree that say what you want about Donald Trump, his America First policy did keep us out of uh, wars that otherwise would have been rushed into? I, Donald, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Putin has said this. He said, basically, if Hillary Clinton were, were elected, there was going to be a war. Well, uh, the, the, the Democratic Party did get elected, or they stole the election, or they got into power. Uh, so, yes, I think that Trump was the guy for all of his faults. He was a guy who uh, could do deals. I mean, isn't that the, the book? Art of the it's deal. The art of the deal, mm -hmm. right? He knew what a deal was. And he knew that, basically, you had to concede some type of rationality on your part of your partner you're talking with. And as soon as you say the Holocaust and neo-Nazi and Hong Kong equals Heil Hitler, that's the end of rationality. Of course it's going to fail if you have people like that representing you in negotiations. Right. Of course it's going to fail. You mentioned the Freedom of Restoration Act, uh, which formerly I think was Bill 101 uh, under Mike Pence there in Indiana. You know a lot more about the backstory than I do. What are, you, what are your thoughts on Pence pretty sharply turning against his old boss? Well, I mean, Pence was a, a cipher when he was in Indiana. Uh, I mean, ba basically, he, he was a failure in Indiana. So the, the moment, he had this great moment of opportunity when Mark Benioff showed up, uh, uh, head of Salesforce, who had a, an office in Indianapolis, and he shows up and tells the state legislature, you have to overturn your law. They just passed. The legislature passed that law. So, Mike, just for folks who aren't aware, what was the Religious Freedom Restoration Act? What was it meant to do? It, it, it was basically to prevent people from being uh, bakers, uh, for may, being forced to bake cakes for gay weddings. In other words, if you had a conscience objection to the cause that your customer was trying to promote, the, the law would stand by you and protect you. And so uh, this Benioff comes in, uh, he's, he's a, a follower, he's one of these people. He, he uh, espouses uh, business as jihad, as a, as a form of social engineering, okay? And he's levering this pressure here. So he comes in and he, he says, basically, uh, you have to overturn your law. Well, Pence had a golden opportunity and could have said, well, you know, who, who elected you? Uh, are you trying to overthrow the government of the state of Indiana? That's known as treason. Arrest this guy. They should have arrested him. But no, he goes on. He goes on. Uh, Mike Pence goes on. Uh, meet the press, and someone says, "Well, doesn't this discriminate?" Well, and he doesn't know what to say. Yeah. He could have changed the whole terms of the discussion by talking about what it really was, was an attack on representative government by an oligarch who didn't even live in the state of Indiana. Mm -hmm. But he didn't because he was too, how should I say this, too stupid? And now it turns out that he, he's, he's trying to capitalize on non-existent capital. Do you think you're going anywhere in the conservative movement when 
all of this has passed you by, it's not going to work. Yeah. He's, he's just he's just a failed he's a failed a failed politician. There's another uh, parallel series of events in Canada that most Americans and some, many Canadians are not aware of, and that's the passage of Bill C four. While the trucker thing was going on, and while uh, there was a a mini-culture skirmish over the vax passes and mask mandates and all that in Canada, Trudeau quietly reintroduced a bill that had a, it kind of died on ice a couple years ago. Perhaps the country wasn't, they weren't ready for it, or they they were paying attention to it, and it it had failed. Uh, It failed. Anyway, Bill C-4 is now Canadian law that punishes therapists who practice what what the enemies of the Catholic faith call conversion therapy, which of course doesn't exist. There's no conversion therapy. That's a, a devil term used to neutralize the fact that some therapists receive patients or clients who have unwanted same-sex attractions, and now these people, the, the therapists, are not allowed to help them. They'll lose their license, maybe go to jail for five years. Now, this has implications for the Catholic Church. How so? Well, if they're smart... I mean, I'm trying to put myself in the other side's shoes. Why not put a body mic on a gay activist and go into the nearest parish confessional and confess homosexuality and record the the conversion therapy-based advice that the priest gives? That priest would be breaking the law. That's a great idea. Do you work for the uh, ACLU? Yeah, I should give them ideas, yeah. I'm a false flag, yeah. No. <laughs> oh. Of course it does. Now that we've reached this point in Finland, apparently there's a member of parliament who is now because she quoted the uh, the uh, Gospels, uh, Saint Paul's Epistle to the Romans mm-hmm. about same sex attraction. Uh, she's now going to be fined, thrown into jail if she succeeds, along with a bishop of the Lutheran Church, which is the established church in Finland. Mm-hmm. And to take it one step further, I don't know whether you know about the case of Father Oko. Uh, no. In Darius Oko, Polish oh, priest. Pro- I have heard of him. Is he a part of the canonization team of John Paul II? That he may be. Okay. That's not. That's not how I know sure. him. He's he's man, the man who basically wrote the uh, uh, an article on the homosexual mafia. This is before Vigano used used mm-hmm. the term. Uh, came out years ago, and he named names in Poland. Uh, okay, and now it was published in German in a German magazine called Theologisches, uh, you know, quarterly, scholarly quarterly. Mm-hmm. And so there was a now a Catholic priest from Bavaria, whose name I forget, Rota, I believe. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to jump to conclusions, but there are pictures of him on the internet kissing another man on the lips. Uh, so it may give you some indication of where he's coming from, uh, basically dragged Father Oko into court. And Father Oko was supposed to go on trial a week ago in Cologne hmm. uh, for uh, Volksverhetzung, which is incitement. Uh, and if paragraph 130, the notorious paragraph 130 in the German, it's not the Constitution, it's called the Grundgesetz or basic law because the Allies never allowed the Germans to have a Constitution. So basically, this is a very big deal. 
because you're going to ignite the war between Poland and Germany, which has always been simmery and which will now get hotter because the Germans, they pussied out, they chickened out on the pipeline. They should have stood up to NATO and said, no, we're getting the pipeline. So now we're going to spend $120 billion to arm Germany. Wait a minute. The Poles don't like that. This is classic passive aggressive behavior. You can't stand up to the real bully, namely the United States. And so you're going to do this. So anyway, the trial is supposed to take place uh, in Cologne a week ago and it gets called off. Now, the the official reason is because uh, the lawyers are sick. They got sick or something like that. This may be a strategic withdrawal on the part of the German government. Because they've already done this with uh, Lady Michelle Renouf. They were going to try her for the, under the same crime, which is basically the thought crimes thing. And they backed off on that. So it may be happening here or it may come to, to trial. I don't know. Do you know Father Oko speaks English? Yes, I know. I speak. I don't speak Polish. And that's the only way I could. Well, we could both speak German, I guess. He, he lived in Germany for a while. Yes. Yeah, because this is um, I call this being charged with an EWC. Uh, existing while Catholic. Yeah. Uh, we talked on, on your show about the hidden grammar, about how, how Germany became so gay, you can see it from space. Right. Um, this is yeah. part of the story that is coming out now. Okay, the ruthless social engineering that got imposed on Germany after World War II. A direct uh, so the 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 Morgenthau plan to starve the Germans to death was abandoned. It was it portrayed as Semitic vengeance by Herbert Hoover, the great hero of that era, ex-president Herbert Hoover. Uh, it was replaced by the Marshall Plan, which was subtler but more ruthless in many ways because it involved the sexual corruption of the German people uh, by the pr promoting pornography. Mm. So it began with the magazines, the illustrated magazines. They were battling uh, the church, the great hero uh, who stood up to Morgenthau and the Jewish plan to starve the Germans to death was Cardinal Frings of Cologne. And he was also the great hero in the 50s fighting what the Germans call schmutz und schunt or, or uh, obscenity. OK, yeah, and uh, they lost that battle. They lost that battle because the Catholic Church lost its nerve. The Catholic Church in Germany abandoned its own legion of decency. It was called the Volkswartbund. And basically the sexual corruption of the German people followed. I was there in the 70s when the theaters, these are local theaters in small towns and Catholic areas are doing things like the Schulmädchen report. 13, 13 sequels to the Schulmädchen report, which was softcore porn until it turned to hardcore porn. Uh, that's what happened over the course of the 70s. And there is a direct line, okay, between that and the results of the German synod. Mm -hmm. Direct line. You mean, and the one guy. Which, which synod? The one, the Synod on Synodality parody? Synod? Yeah, yeah, the, the Synod, the, the Synodal Weg issued its statement, and lo and behold, what does the German people want? They want divorced and remarried, uh, going to communion, and uh, change the church's teaching on homosexuality and women priests. Now look, the fix is in. This is ridiculous. I'm saying the whole Synodal Weg, the whole Synodality thing, is being run by Germans and Jesuits anyway, and they already know what they want, and they're, they're forcing Catholic people throughout the world to go through this charade of standing up in some auditorium and saying blah, 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 when nobody's going to pay attention anyway. Yeah. Mueller 
Cardinal Mueller was the guy, former prefect of the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, understood this completely and denounced it uh, recently in the press. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Cardinal Frings. His most famous protege and advisor at Vatican II was uh, Herr Father Josef Ratzinger. Right, right. And I've been trying to explain the crucial role that Ratzinger played in all of this. You can't underestimate the influence of Cardinal Ratzinger for the— Joseph Ratzinger, for the entire church. I mean, for the history, the fate of the entire church. Because So, 59, Ratzinger is a professor in Bonn, gives a speech, and Frings is in the audience. Frings says, you know, I like this guy. He's a bright guy. Uh, would you come to Rome with me? We're going to have the, uh, uh, an ecumenical council. You can be my peritus. Mm-hmm. So, he goes... Uh, and through with Frings as his mouthpiece, he basically overthrows the entire program for the Vatican Council. I'm talking about the preliminary documents that were uh, written under the supervision of Cardinal Ottaviani, mm-hmm. the prefect for the doctrine of the faith. I've read the preliminary documents. They're worth reading because it gives you some indication of the intention behind the council because it was Ottaviani who went to John the 23rd and said, we need a council. This was a conservative initiative because there were threats to the church that the church was incapable of meeting. Obviously communism. But then he starts talking about psychoanalysis and Hollywood. Well, they're Jewish threats and they're from America. Who thought America was a threat? Ottaviani did. So when Ratzinger gets there, he basically overturns the entire, this is all in his theological book, his memoir, Theological Highlights of Vatican II, overturns the Ottaviani document and then says we need something positive. And that basically led to, look, an acceptance of American social engineering. The infliction, uh, not the, look, the, the neutralization of the church when it came to social engineering. Ottaviani was on to something. Nobody at the time knew what was going on. It's only with the hindsight of history that you realize what was going on. The church still is unaware of social engineering because it ratified, in a sense, the social engineering of the American empire. Yeah, you, I'm sure you've heard of Mary Dodd. Excuse me, Bella Dodd. Yes. So, Bella, yes, I have. I've always wondered where all the rumors about what Del, Bella Dodd claimed and and the context and the details were always missing uh, in my research until I talked to uh, someone who told me about a, an upcoming book. Apparently, Tan Publishers is publishing it. I've interviewed the author. She's a retired medical doctor from Maine. Her name's Dr. Mary Nicholas, and it's it's Bella Dodd's essentially her biography. And it goes through where, which congressional committee, which talk that she gave. She came back to her faith, of course, after being a card-carrying member of the American Communist Party in New York, Hunter College, infiltrating teachers' unions and so on. And one thing you can learn about these schemas that were dropped, they weren't even edited, they were just not accepted at all, is that in between 1962 and 1965, there were cardinals, bishops, priests, and lay people in communist prisons and there's not a line of condemnation of communism in the four major documents. I think there's a, I think there's a footnote in Gaudium et Spes, if memory serves. So do you agree that you can learn as much about what they kept off the table as what they put on the table? I think that they were, there was a, um, a consciousness dawning at this point that they had been played by the Americans. 
that the church had been lured into a straitjacket because of the anti-communist crusade. And I think they were looking for a way out of that. And that was the beginning of the, what they call the Ostpolitik for mm-hmm. the, uh, of Paul VI. I mean, I, 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 I can understand it. I think that you had to have some type of sophisticated uh, understanding of what was going on and that there, there, there was something wrong with the Americans. There, were, there was something insidious about what the Americans were doing. They were simply not honest. It was covert warfare, and it was covert warfare against the Catholic Church. And someone had to ba- basically someone had to break the spell of the anti-communist crusade because it was crippling the Catholic church. So I, I don't, I don't have any objection to that. That was not the problem of Vatican II, that they ignored communism. The problem was that people like Ratzinger said things like the church has nothing to fear from the modern world. No, that's, that's wrong. That's wrong. They, they, there was this kind of ironic attitude toward everything that was, look, the exact opposite of what was happening in Germany at the time. So you're, Ratzinger, this, I'm saying to the year. So the year that, uh, like, 64 is the year when we have Gaudium at Spes, and we got this pot. Let's, he, he, Ratzinger says we don't want this negative stuff anymore. This is in his memoir. You know, no more syllabus of errors, no more pious X anti-modernist thing. You know, we're going to have, we have nothing to fear from the modern world. At the very moment that basically Hollywood is breaking the production code in Germany. Mm-hmm. The film was Ingmar Bergman's film, The Silence. I know what it was. It was conceived. Uh, the 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 go between between Sweden and Hollywood was a Jew by the name of Harry Shine. That doesn't sound like a Swedish name to me, you know. Uh, he was orchestrating this at the same time that the Hollywood people were orchestrating the 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 destruction of the production code in Hollywood. It was a worldwide event, and ger- uh, basically, uh, I get in trouble here, but I say basically, Ratzinger basically distracted Frings. To give uh, Frings was an old man at this point. Okay, he's an old man. He's ready to hand the baton to a younger generation. But basically, he distracted Frings from the big battle that was happening in Germany, which was the obscenity battle, which was the battle of 1965. Do you think there's some parallel similarities between Cardinal Frings and Archbishop John Kroll? <sighs> yes. In, uh, have, you, yes. I'm sure you, have you tied those together right. in your mind before? Actually, you're the first guy that uh, brought this up. So you're so yes. The obvious connection is that Kroll was the head of the Legion of Decency. He was the cleric who'd been exposed, uh, uh, nominated to head that organization. It was run by Monsignor Little, uh, the man who was who understood what was going on. Joe Breen, who was the man who created the Hollywood Production Code, Catholic from Philadelphia, an alumnus of my uh, alma mater, St. Joe's University, uh, had basically tamed the Jews in Hollywood with uh, the threat of boycott. So 1965 arrives, and the difference is that Kroll uh, basically didn't didn't know what he was doing. I mean, he was a genius when it came to managing money and administrating uh, an archdiocese, got the place out of debt, got Philadelphia out of debt, the archdiocese. But when it came to culture, he was basically the the butcher from Kroger's. He never got beyond that. You know, he was a butcher at Kroger's in Cleveland. And so he basically, uh, he, he supported, he supported, uh, supported Monsignor Little, 
but the tide was just flowing against him, and he wasn't big enough and didn't have the stature of Frings. Mm-hmm. I, I would I would venture to say he didn't have the courage of Frings. He didn't have the insight of Frings in order to oppose it, as effectively as Frings had done earlier on. What do you think the next shiny metal object will be? Uh, it just seems like every month there's a new fear porn product, whether it's Ebola or murder hornets or SARS-CoV-1 or 2 um, or uh, the coming ice age or it's it's uh, Paul Ehrlich's population bomb or everybody's g- going to get AIDS. Do you ever ever wonder what's around the corner? Like, I, yeah, I think I, a, a possibility here, call me crazy, uh, fake alien attack to unite us, something like that. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's the the story of uh, Independence Day. They've already done the movie on it. Uh, yeah, did more you than that, did sure. you watch it? Did you watch Independence Day? Of course, yeah. It's a that's, pr- that's predictive programming. Yeah, right. You, so, yeah. so it's it's uh, they, apparently the CIA is now giving credence to unidentified flying object stories too. That you notice that, Doctor Jones? How often a high profile people, a person like oh, I don't know, Barack Obama, will say things lending credibility to uh, Martians circling the earth it's very interesting well, it, you know president reagan in april i want to get the year right april i want to say 1987 at the un mentions the possibility of he's you can't tell if he's being rhetorical or not but he's uh mentioning that something like i'm going to summarize it now uh maybe an alien attack from the outside world uh is the only thing that will unite us something like that he, he did that a couple of times as president yes yes well, I mean, maybe I don't have a crystal ball. Anything's possible, but I think what they're going to have to come to grips with is the the closing of the expansion of NATO eastward. It's not going to happen. It's over. And once empires fail to expand, they they don't expand anymore. They contract. And how quickly they contract is something that uh, is often surprising. So. If you're asking me, I, I, I don't, if you're asking me what is, what is going to happen next, I think that the big specter over the horizon is the, the de-dollarization of the world. That they, they, there's, mm-hmm. there's, two, there's one straw, the straw that broke the camel's back of the dollar as the reserve currency, I think, just occurred. And the whole point of American Anglo-American foreign policy is to prevent the uniting of the Eurasian landmass, and they've exceeded in doing the exact opposite because of their recklessness of just pursuing. These are these are people who don't understand logos. They are in rebellion against logos. And one of the fundamental facts of logos when it comes to geopolitics is boundaries. And if you don't accept boundaries and you don't accept limits, you will expand like a big balloon until you reach a sharp object and then it will pop. And I think that's what's happening right now. Yeah. That we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing a massive propaganda campaign that is going to pop like a bubble. It's going to be, that's going to be a soap bubble that's going to pop, and then we're going to realize that this had no correspondence with reality, and then it will start to sink in that suddenly we're paying $10 a gallon for gas, and how did that happen, and so on and so forth. And then don't don't discount the shift toward uh, climate change. Um, I, I just read an article, I forget where, I'll try to find it and put it in the show notes at patrickhoffin.media, that there's a, 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 there's a 
uh, uh, subsurface concern that an ancient virus that is stuck in the ice flows is going to reemerge as the ice flows melt, and it's going to be ten times worse than uh, than COVID. Have you heard this? No. Yeah. But I bet I imagine it's coming out of a bio lab in Wuhan. Yeah. Problem is, if they're expecting the bio from a bio lab in Ukraine, they're all uh, are going to be under the control of the Russians. Mm-hmm. Because uh, 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 that's that's one of the objectives uh, that they have there, so that yeah. that would be a good thing. What's in the pipeline at Culture Wars upcoming editions? Oh, or editions? <laughs> Maybe you don't. You, you don't. Why Why do you always <laughs> ask me about the future? No one knows the future. This, this I don't month, know the future. Well, because I want this to be an evergreen <laughs> show. That's why. Okay, as we speak in the time. <laughs> Time space continuum. This month's edition, February two thousand twenty-two. Or this month's edition yeah. will be the uh, no February is already out. That's the Hugh Hefner, Heil Hefner article <laughs> about the Playboy, uh, the Playboy documentary, and the similarities that had with the Holocaust narrative. That's an interesting story. The the the, uh, the next one will be Trudeau and then uh, the truckers. He probably figured out we're we're explicating the Holocaust narrative as each uh, month goes by because there's going to be a book length manuscript on this uh, at a certain point, because I don't think you can understand discourse now. It's like everything takes place within this narrative. You have to even Robert Kennedy, in order to talk about vaccines, has to drag in the Holocaust, bring up uh, Anne Frank or something like that. Every, every, this is has to be explicated because we have to understand that it is it, the, this story writes the narrative. The narrative has a life of its own that determines certain outcomes that are bad, and we have to yeah. break out of this narrative. It's like the successor. It's not unrelated to the the Cold War narrative. That's obsolete. That 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 leads you to misunderstanding. We have to break through through these narratives, these templates, and be able to face reality. Uh, in an accurate, give an accurate description of what's happening. Do you have Jewish supporters? Of course I do. I get, I get letters on a regular basis of Jews who have converted to Catholicism because they listened to me and because they read the Jewish revolutionary spirit. Was, uh, culture wars in part inspired by, is it Rabbi Dresner? Am I remembering correctly? Rabbi Dresner, not not culture wars. Culture or fidelity. Wars. Rabbi Rabbi Dresner came on board after I created uh, Culture Wars, and he was one of my biggest fans. And he would tell Catholics whenever they'd say, "Do you do you subscribe to Culture Wars?" And they say, "What's Culture Wars?" And he said, "Well, you better subscribe." So he was a big supporter of mine. Uh, he felt alienated. Uh, from his own group, largely because of the homosexual issue. He was a rabbi in, in New York. He was appalled at the way, obviously knew that homosexuality is not compatible with the Torah. He understood that. He wanted to do something about it. And toward the end of his life, he was uh, he was calling me up and he's saying to me, look, I'm, I'm going to the New York library and the books are disappearing from the shelves. Mm-hmm. The books that I need to, they should be there and they're disappearing. And I don't know whether I'm able to I'll be able to complete this project. So I said, well, you want me to complete it? And he said, well, let me think about it. And then he died. Mm. So that, that project never happened. So yes, 
Other things, look, other things have happened, like Paul Gottfried in the, uh, well, I'm in Tom Fleming's living room talking to Paul Gottfried, and Paul Gottfried saying, why are, you, why are you guys such pussies when it comes to dealing with the Jews? He's a Jew. He had his career ruined by the neoconservative cabal. He was supposed to get a, uh, a, a chair, an endowed chair at Catholic U. They wrecked it. They wrecked it for him. So this is, it's, it's out there. It's out there, and the people, I think the Jews, if they're not slaves to some type of fear-mongering organization like the ADL or IPAC, they recognize that I'm, I'm being honest with them, and they respond to that. Yeah, agree or disagree, you're trying to call things by the right name and start uh, conversations instead of having conversation shutdown terms th being thrown around. That's right. That's right. Um, so I understand that Monsters from the Id, your fine book on the rise of horror in film and fiction, is now available in audio, audio book. Audio book, mm -hmm. yeah. Canon Press. Uh, you can uh, buy an audio book if you spend a lot of time in your car. Audio books are ideal. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, uh, that's right. It's going to be. It'll be avail. It's available right now. You can get and, it right now. Uh, settle a rumor. Pee Wee Herman did not do the voiceover, right? No, no, I don't know who did it, but no, I'm pretty sure it wasn't him. I didn't do it either, so I don't, I don't gotcha. know who did it. Can, can that and others, uh, other things be had at culturewars.com? Sure, we've okay. got the, I've got the, the book on art uh, will be coming out. It's at the printer right now, The Dangers of Beauty, uh, The Conflict Between Mimesis and Concupiscence in the Fine Arts. Spent a lot of time on that. It's on the back burner, but I want to bring it to the front burner when the, okay. the copies are available. I can think of uh, 12 mutual friends who will love that. Yeah, I think it's a. Uh, I think people are ready for it because it backs away from the headlines. You know, I mean, we we are slaves to their narrative, pretty much. That's what mm -hmm. we all we talked about was their narrative today, and this is a way of basically talking about our narrative, beginning beginning with the the unprecedented rise of beauty in Italy, uh, beginning with Giotto. Uh, and how Thomas Aquinas enabled this and that 300-year reign of unprecedented breakthroughs in terms of the visual arts. That's our narrative. That's yeah. not their narrative. That's culturewars.com. Remember, mypillow.com. Get the Patrick Hoffman Show discount. Patrick's the coupon code. Uh, Intel there. E. Michael Jones, thanks for joining me again. Thank you, Patrick. This is Always a pleasure. All right. Godspeed. This is the Patrick Coffin Show. Be a saint. What else is there?